Hello, Seasteaders. Welcome back to the Seasteading Today podcast. Our new season will be a little different. I've started recording our monthly Seasteading social events held on our Discord server. Unfortunately, the recordings for our ArcPad and ArcTide episodes were a little rough, but the conversations were inspiring, so I hope you will enjoy them anyway. You can always find our upcoming events at seasteading.org slash events. Now, please enjoy the conversation with Mitchell Suchner of ArcPad. Welcome everyone to our Catching Up with ArcPad Discord Seasteading Social. I have Mitchell Suchner on the call. He is the owner of ArcPad based in the Philippines. And the last time we talked to Mitchell was for our Seasteading Today podcast. And that was before ArcPad existed as a separate company. So Mitchell, will you tell us sort of the evolution of ArcPad in the past year? Sure, absolutely. Um, and thanks for having me on, Carly. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Okay, so let me see here. Where where could I start? I could start by talking about our location. Uh, so we're in the Philippines right now. If you remember the, the last conversation that we had last year, we were talking about how we were planning on building these structures that would be on spars, that we're going to have a, a platform on top where you could put a house you could put maybe two houses, you could join them together, use them kind of like Legos in the water, that kind of concept. So in the last year, we've fully fleshed that out. That design is basically done. The blueprint is, is done. We'll be looking at wanting to build the first full-scale prototype soon. But again, just to kind of come back to information about ArcPad, let me start by talking about the Philippines and why it's a convenient location for us to build these ArcPads in. So the Philippines, especially the south of the country, there's no hurricanes, there's there's no typhoons, those things don't happen because we're so close to the equator. And of course, when you're talking about like autonomous communities and things like that, being close to the equator is also good for getting the most bang for your buck when you have solar panels. But in addition to that the Philippines has over 7,000 islands. So there's a lot of protected waters. There's a lot of bays and gulfs and, and places where you can put small floating communities that are near shore. And that's useful because one of the early uses that uh, we envision the arc pads being used for is probably for floating resorts, just because I would expect that a lot of tourists would want to stay on a floating house. So uh, I, I guess another beneficial thing is that the Philippines has more marine workers and sailors per capita than almost any other country in the world. So the cost of labor, and especially labor which is related to seasteading, which, which would be beneficial for a seasteading company, is very low here. Uh, naval engineers, naval architects, that kind of thing. And they're, and they're very skilled uh, at what they do. And the last thing would be, there are these free ports in the Philippines. These are kind of like special economic zones. There's uh, Zaydays in Honduras that maybe some of you guys have heard of. These are kind of similar. They don't have the same degree of autonomy, but they're basically these ports where you can register a company and you will get six years of no taxes. And then after that, very, very low taxes in perpetuity for as long as the company operates in that free port. So there's a lot of beneficial things about the Philippines. But I guess for what we're looking at in the next year or two, the most important thing is that there's, like I said, a lot of resorts. There's a lot of tourism that comes into this country. And so using seasteads as a kind of tourist-oriented thing in the early stages before you go out and just build a floating city, using them to bring in money by renting them out to tourists and building floating resorts is probably uh, going to be a very important use for them. 
Right. That's great. So that's your, um, so tell us a little bit about the timeline for your business plan. So starting out with the shallow water versions that will be, um, the main business will be tourism. What's, what's your time frame for that? And then what are the sort of longer term goals for the platforms that you're building? Right. That's a good question. So we, we started off last year with this design for a seastead that was going to kind of go out in the middle of the ocean. And it was designed for maximum stability and to handle these huge waves. And we, we wanted to be really safe and capable of handling a lot of punishment in bad weather, basically. We kind of revisited some of those concepts in the later half of the year so we could design it more for shallow water because it had a very deep draft. And so we reduced the draft so that we could come in closer to the shore before it was like, you know, 10 or 15 meters deep in some locations because these spars would go down a long ways. And now it's about four meters deep. So we can get in really, really close to shore. Our plan is that we're going to build the prototype uh, arc pad in the north of the country, the north of the Philippines. And then from there, we're going to try to find resorts to partner with or, uh, or other investors who want to help us to build a floating resort or expand a beach resort out into a kind of like half beach, half floating resort, that kind of thing to tap into the tourism market. So I can't give an exact time frame on how long that's going to take. I can say that within the next six months, you should definitely expect that we will be actively doing construction and maybe even within that time window, we'll be finished with the prototype. But I, I don't want to give a time frame on when the floating resorts are going to happen because, you know, there's a lot of factors when it comes to that. Sure. Um, so tell us a bit about the arc pad and the, just we, I'd like to hear more details about the design features and, you know, especially when we talked last time, you were talking about a long cylinder. And as you explained, uh, it had a longer draft. But so tell us a bit in more detail, what will the arc pad look like and what will what materials are you using? You know, all of those juicy details. Um, absolutely. In fact, before I get into that, let me actually go. So I'm actually going to go into the arc pad channel here. And I have a bunch of uh, pictures because when I first set this up, I did it as a presentation. And so um, I was gonna, I was gonna show this as a slideshow, but let me dump some of these in here so people can see pictures. So our method, our strategy was we start off with a blueprint that will be made by an architect. And then we would go on to wave sims by our naval architect. Then we would go on and, you know, any information that we get from, from the wave sims might tell us change this or change that or modify the center of gravity or what have you. So we would take that information, go back and make a change to the blueprint. Then the next step where we would take feedback is structural analysis. And then the last step would be uh, would be finite elemental analysis, which is kind of like structural analysis, but but for ships. It's used more for ships. And so this is the resulting structure that we end up with. So if you guys go ahead and take a look at the ArcPad channel, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. So the gist of the structure is that you have these spars, and they're the things that are providing about half of the buoyancy. But if they were providing all of the buoyancy, then we would have a very stable structure with a very low center of mass because these counterweights are down at the bottom, but we'd have a very, very deep draft. So we know that spars are really stable and they're really effective for what we want to do, which is mount a house on top of it or any other structure you can think of. So what we did was we created these floater rings and we attached these to the middle of those spars and that doubled the buoyancy, therefore allowing us to cut the length of the spars in half. And so by doing that, uh, we can get something that can actually go in very, very shallow water that doesn't have to be like three miles out in the ocean. It can be very close to the shore, just a short boat ride 
to get from the beach out to your floating house or your floating villa or rental unit or what have you. So we've gone through a lot of different stuff when it comes to the materials that we're going to use. We spent about eight months working on our design for seasteading cement, which you might have heard of. So we, we basically just modified some different formulas for uh, high performance and ultra high performance concrete. We've added in some things, we've taken out some things, and what we end up with is this material that, unlike UHPC, isn't 10 times more expensive than concrete. It's just a little bit more expensive than concrete. It's almost the same price, but it's twice the strength, it's much more durable, and uh, it's actually more than twice, it's about three times stronger in tensile and flexural strength. So it's it's not quite a flexible material, but if it gets struck from the side, for example, if, if a concrete column gets struck from the side by a car, it'll crack. Our goal with this is if this spar gets struck on the side from a ship, it won't crack. We wanted to make it that strong. And even if it does crack, we fill the inside of the spars with foam so that way it can never flood. And so this this thing that happened with Seapod when they released it in September, which I, I saw the clips of that, you know, it, they, it comes out and then I guess there was a, a tube that, that came loose and one of the spars started flooding and it flipped. Well, that couldn't happen with this because there'd be no way to fill up the spars since it's all filled with styrofoam. Um, does anybody want to ask any questions about this, uh, this design here or do you want me to keep going? So you should see an, op oh, I see a question coming in. One second. And then he disappeared. Um, you should see a request to speak and then I can invite you to the stage. You can unmute yourself. All right. I uh, am 996. Thanks for giving your talk here. So is styrofoam, is it porous in any sense? I mean, is it, does it truly not absorb any, any water? It does absorb some. It has about a 5% uh, absorption, which means that if there was a leak in the spar, about 5% of the spars volume would be filled with water but because we have the spars and the floater ring separate that effectively is, is more like a two and a half percent reduction in buoyant force now that's styrofoam that's just what we're using for the the prototype and i think that at least in our wave simulations that was still stable enough it was perfectly safe but we could do one step better than that we could use eps foam and that doesn't absorb really any water because that's fully closed cell all right, that's, thanks. That sounds good. And a follow-up question, really quick here, which is that, uh, like you're like you're talking about with the, the wave simulations, does this reduction in spar length uh, is is it more of a compromise? Is it a little bit more likely that your guys's arc pad C design will will flip if the spars are shorter overall? That's a really, really good question. And that's something that we spent a lot of time discussing, especially August and September with our engineers. We talked a lot about that kind of thing. And our initial thought was, we will create the ArcPad C, which is the one that we advertise on our website. That will be, ArcPad C is for ArcPad Coastal, right? We'll have that as our coastal version, you know, not too rough of weather, but keep it in a bay, keep it in the Gulf, you know, in this, I mean, the, the Gulfs are huge, they're like, hundreds of square miles in this, in this area of the world, but, but I digress. So the point is, we thought that it would be less stable, but when we put it through wave simulations of hurricanes that had come through Southeast Asia, we found that its maximum tilt was only 4.6 degrees in almost three and a half meter waves. So it's actually almost as stable as, as a deep sea version would be. It's very, very stable. It's designed specifically to handle those kinds of forces without anything snapping or breaking. We made sure of that. And of course, once we have the ArcPad C finished and we have these coastal communities, we can always go back and revise the design again if we want to make it, you know, designed just for very, very large waves, like five meter, six meter waves that you would get out in open ocean. 
and make it even more stable. But as, as it is right now, if you took the art pad scene, you put it down by the equator, it would actually be perfectly safe. All right, thanks. I appreciate that. No problem. Thank you for the question. How are these structures anchored, and can they be connected together or tethered in some way? Yes, they can be. Um, let me see here. Did I... Hold on. Let me, let me put two more pictures in the ArtPad channel, actually. One of them is going to be the Wave Sim, and the other one, I think I have the Tensegrity connection. So the Tensegrity connection is basically it's the arm that we're going to use to connect uh, the ArtPads together. And the purpose of these arc pads is the same as the purpose that we stated last year when we did that Sea Studying Today podcast, which is we want these to be like Legos. We want these to be these kind of blocks that you can move next to each other. You can connect them and they can share resources. They can share electricity. They can share water and they can form an intranet. They can have these fiber optic cables that will run between them and you can have an internal network or you, know, you can just share a fiber optic cable with your neighbors, they can access the internet more broadly, whatever the case is. So yes, they, in short, they are designed to connect with each other and not just physically for, for support and for, you know, to be able to walk to your neighbor's house, but also to share resources. Thank you. I am looking for that tensegrity connection, but I, I don't have the image here. I will put this out. This is showing, so that image that I, that GIF that I just put on the ArcPad channel, that shows the, uh, the structure in large waves. These were three meter waves. So this was a typhoon that went through the Philippines, I believe around September 20th of last year. Then the image below that is showing, now these aren't the exact locations of the freshwater storage tanks. They actually go in the spars, but this is showing that there will be freshwater collection from rainwater. We're designing the, the house to collect rainwater and funnel it into these storage tanks. Uh, there will be a septic system, uh, waste treatment system, solar energy, and of course, like I said before, they'll be able to physically connect neighboring seasteads and share resources with them. Um, so any more questions about uh, the structure and design of the ARC pad, uh, you, can push, you can click on request to speak and I can invite you onto the stage. Yeah, I just have a quick question. What is the septic plan and design, how do you guys plan on tackling that? So as of right now, the septic tank actually goes in the central spar. And what we're going to do with that is, um, at least for this early iteration, and certainly for the prototype, we're not going to treat it right now. We're going to have a, we're going to have a boat that will have to come up underneath the arc pad and can empty the contents of the septic tank into another tank on that boat and then bring it to shore for disposal. But that nozzle underneath that will release the contents of the septic tank, that doesn't have to be released into a boat that's going to shore. You could, you could release it onto a boat and send that boat somewhere else. You could put it into another tank where it would be more properly treated. But as of right now, it's just a storage tank that's in the middle spar uh, that is released into another tank whenever someone comes below the house to empty out its contents. Okay, awesome. And are you guys working with the government of the Philippines for any kind of agreement or anything like that for the seasteads to be able to empty their septic systems there in the Philippines? Or what's your progress on that? So actually, we talked with the local marina up in the north of the country in a place called La Union. And they informed us that 
as long as we have a boat that will come by and empty the contents of the septic tank into a container and then transport it to land, then that qualifies as us. It's, it's basically treated the same as if you had a septic tank that was, that was on land, as long as we transport the waste products to the land. So I, I think that answers the question. Indeed, it does. Thank you. Uh, what about uh, water making? Um, are you doing any desalinization, say through uh, reverse osmosis? Where are you getting your fresh water supply? And have you conceptualized uh, sharing resources like water and power between units if you interconnect them? So we have conceptualized that. That's actually the thing that we're working on right now is these connection mechanisms that will allow arc pads to join up to each other and to share resources between each other. Now, we didn't design any kind of freshwater production into the arc pad itself. What we did instead is we're going to allow that decision to be made. What kind of method you want to use to produce your freshwater, that will be up to the individual owner of that arc pad. So what we will do is the default house that we're going to design to go on top of these things will have a rainwater collection system built into its roof. But then when it comes to the production of fresh water, whether we're using reverse osmosis or some other method, that's probably, we're just going to buy an off-the-shelf commercially available thing that's maybe meant for yachts and just keep that inside the house, maybe in a closet somewhere on top of the platform. There's nothing, again, there's nothing built into the spars or the structure itself. The only thing we have built in is the storage, but not the production mechanisms. Is gray water and sewage handled on the same line, or do you have a gray water system as well? Um, those are handled in the same line as of right now. Okay. Thank you. What we have is, thank you. Uh, what, what I was going to say is, what we have is four freshwater storage tanks and one uh, septic tank. You could easily just take one of those four freshwater tanks and use it for gray water if you wanted to. We're designing it to be flexible. Hi, uh, thank you very much. Um, I have a question regarding this uh, septic tank, actually. It was, um, in my mind, uh, the concept of sustaining also is very linked to autonomy and um, to depend as less as possible as resources from land. And uh, the fact that so far, from what I understood, a boat would do the, the, the connection between the, the sea house or, and uh, the shore uh, is kind of, I would say, unpractical or also very linear. And I was wondering if you thought already about a, a way to reuse the waste that would go to this uh, septic. And uh, that also is linked to my second uh, question, which is related to whether you thought already about building or concept about not only housing, but also uh, facilities on, on uh, water for companies, let's say, for, for example, waste treatment or for medical support, um, etc. Oh, yes, both excellent questions. So the first one, let me just say and clarify that the ArcPad C, so that's the model that we're working on right now, and that's what the prototype will be. This is designed to be a coastal unit. That's what the C stands for. So we're anticipating that when we build the first one, and maybe when we build the first 20 or 40 or 60, they're probably going to be used in reference to tourism. They're going to be used in a capacity where they're going to be close to land. They will produce their own electricity, but we don't necessarily need to make them fully autonomous in the sense of uh, treating their own sewage or receptive waste. Um, it's not even necessarily producing your own fresh water. Again, because you 
could be very very short. Now that being said, when we have a deep water version, uh, it only requires very very minor modifications, since 95% of the work is already done with this coastal model. We can very easily take the blueprint and just tweak it and make a version that, let's say, has more space to treat its own septic or has uh, more air surface area for uh, solar panels, more electricity production, so on and so forth. So if you want autonomy, if you want to be fully independent, you can definitely do that. And that kind of lends itself to the next concept, which is since we're building a platform that you can put a house on top of, or any structure that you want to on top of, yes, you can put a structure on top of it that is designed for residential use or commercial use or waste treatment, so on and so forth. Again, they're, since they're kind of like Legos, you could take four of these things and connect them all together, and you would just have a big 20 meter by 20 meter large, that's a 60 foot by 60 foot square. You could build on top of that platform whatever you can imagine, whatever you can envision. And there will be ways to make sure that the structure you build on top of it is, is bolted down or even welded onto the platform to make sure that it won't slip off. Since this thing's so stable in large waves, I think that won't usually be a problem. So I think that answers your question, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite accurate. Thank you very much. Okay, you're very welcome. And by the way, uh, we're coming up with some more concept art soon, where we're going to show off the ArcPad C, and in the concept art, we're showing off residential units, but we're also showing restaurants, grocery stores, and I think I'll, I'll come back and talk about that a little bit more later on, because what I want to talk about before we get to the end of this, this interview is, is actually the seasteading video game that we're working on, but I'll, I guess I have a few more questions before we talk about that. So, Mitchell, go ahead and tell us about this video game. Oh. Yes. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. I hear you uh, very well, and I have a question. If you're going to be independent, are you going to use your own blockchain payment system, whatever, cryptomonetas, cryptocurrency? Can you tell about this a little bit more? Ooh, that's a really good question, and that, that covers one of the two things that I wanted to talk about. One was the video game. The other one was the blockchain system. So, so actually, let me go ahead and talk about that right now. So what ArcPad has been doing for the past couple of months, actually, is working on a DAP. We are creating our own system on the blockchain and our own cryptocurrency where you're going to be able to register the ownership of a Seastead, kind of like as if you were holding an NFT, and not only register it and track ownership of Seasteads on the blockchain, but also take out loans, take out mortgages, against that Seastead to help fund its creation and do a whole bunch of other really cool things that we'll, we'll talk more about later on. But to answer your question, Andre, yes, we're working on a, a DAP right now that will kind of be like an all-encompassing Seastead mortgage system, since after all, it might be a little bit difficult to get a traditional mortgage on a floating house. Let me actually go into the ArcPad channel. Could I, Carly, put in some more files here that I wanted to show off? Here's the first one. This is just some art that we're going to put up on our website. This isn't showing you much about how it works, but we will talk about that later on. Okay, should I answer some more questions about this DAP? Or, I mean, it's not finished right now, so I'd, I'd rather talk about it more when we're close to actually finishing the DAP. Or are there any other questions that we can take, Carly? Yes, but I would like to hear, I mean, I'm hoping beyond just the audience of Discord that there are other people who get to listen to this conversation. So if you could 
explain why blockchain is a solution for for ArcPad to track ownership and and why Adele, why not NFTs? I'd like to hear a little bit more about just what is the goal for using blockchain technology for ArcPad in general? Right. So I actually took some inspiration from this thing called Lofty.ai. If you go to the, the website, Lofty.ai, they will let you invest as low as $50 into real estate. And one of the nice things about this kind of decentralizing real estate ownership is it takes away one of the barriers to entry of real estate investing, which is usually that you have to have a lot of money up front. It seals off investing in real estate from the average person. And so it also does a few other things It makes it easier to raise capital to make a purchase of a rental property. So what we'll be doing in the early stages of this DAP is we will effectively allow people to buy tokens, to buy tickets that can be used to stay on a seastead overnight. And when people go to stay on these seasteads, if they're being used in the capacity of a floating resort, they will have those tickets burned. And so any resort that's operating floating hotels or, or floating property of any kind, they will have to burn those tickets in order to continue operating them, in order to, to pay for the use of those floating facilities. So it has this sort of capacity where if you buy into the property, you'll be able to get a return on investment. And this incentivizes the building of, of more seasteads. One thing, I guess, when it comes to why do this instead of just go through a bank, instead of just take out a loan, on the one hand, it's probably going to be difficult to explain to some banks how seasteads work and how floating real estate works. So you might find that you're going to have an easier time raising capital through the blockchain. But on the other hand, I personally am just committed to the idea of decentralization and I like the goals and objectives of blockchain technology in decentralizing power and ownership and you know, allowing everyone to participate in the financial system. So ideally, at least in a floating city, as I would imagine it, a lot of commerce might happen on the blockchain. Um, it sounds like you're using blockchain for in a different couple of different ways. And one of one of those ways is to raise capital so people can contribute smaller dollar amounts than regular real estate investment. And still, will they have a, a fractional ownership of, of an ARC pad or, or is there a, some other mechanism happening? Um, so the way that we're doing it is technically the tokens that you're buying are less like ownership in a property and more like tickets that someone would have to use to go to an event, say concert tickets are an example. But in this case, the ticket is to stay overnight or, or stay during the day if you want on a floating property, on floating real estate. So there's a few different ways in which saying that these are tickets to stay the night somewhere are beneficial more so than just owning a single property. To start off with, by owning tickets to stay on a floating resort, for example, then your ticket could theoretically be used on any floating seastead, on any floating house in that resort, not just one. So it kind of negates a lot of the risk that might be involved in owning a single property. If this resort has a hundred floating houses and you pay money to help them build one of those floating houses, then you can now use that, that token, that ticket to stay the night at any of those floating houses on any of those seasteads. So what that means is if one of those units didn't have anybody stay there for like two months in a row, two months straight, then the investors in that unit might lose some money. But 
by being able to use those tickets to stay on any seastead, you're kind of spreading out the investment across the entire resort. And so as a result, it's lowering risk and averaging out your gains. And if you purchase a ticket in an early stage, are you able to resell it later on if they go up in price? Yes, you are. Yeah, you can You can go on. We'll put it up on Uniswap and you'll be able to swap it for, I would say, I mean, we compare it with anything. We compare it with USDC or Ethereum or, or what have you. Yeah, since it's in ERC20 token, you'll be able to take that ticket and swap it with anyone. And as soon as someone stays the night on a Seastead and they, let's say they buy back that specific token, it has to then get burned. So that's, there's going to be a natural mechanism that's going to drive the price of those tokens up over time. And it's not just the fact that the tokens have to be burned for people to stay on the Seastead. It's also that as time goes on, the number of tokens that will be issued for every Seastead that is built will reduce. So if I want to raise $100,000 this year and build $100,000 worth of floating real estate, then let's say $100,000 or 100,000 of these tickets will be out there, right? So it's a dollar per ticket. But what would happen next year is the way that our DAP works, it will only put out 90,000 or 80,000 tickets for the same amount of capital raised. So there's going to be this natural push where the value of the tickets are going to continuously go up. And what I envision and what the tokenomics of that is kind of based around is we're trying to create a sort of deflationary stable coin that's backed by floating real estate. Very cool. Kirk, did you want to ask a question? Uh, yeah. Uh, from a network connectivity standpoint, what are you anticipating using for internet connectivity or connectivity from sort of ship to shore, so to speak? Well, that's a hard question for me to answer. I can't give a solid answer on that one right now because it depends a lot on where we locate the first floating resort, where we locate the first handful of arc pads. Obviously, that would be a different story if someone wanted to buy a coastal arc pad from us right now and put it in a different country. We're, we're very open to that. But uh, I imagine that when we go into deep sea and we're building floating cities, we'd probably use Starlink. As of what we're going to use right now when we're close to the shore, I'm not, uh, I haven't really made up my mind on anything just yet. Right, thank you. So, Mitchell, we have, um, well, about 10 to 15 minutes left of our scheduled time. So uh, what other comments did you want to make to the group while we have you? Well, I guess the most important comment that I want to make is just that ArcPad has put in a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of money, not just to build a seastead, but to build a safe seastead, a safe design, a strong durable floating home that will be able to last a very, very long time. Our goal is that these structures should last at least 100 years, if not longer. We'll have to see if, you know, if it's going to last that long, but I feel good about the design that we have now. And so if you're looking to be involved in seasteading, if you're looking to move to a floating city or to buy a seastead in the location where you're at and, and get just a floating resort, just a, a coastal thing going on, then I think that we're going to have the best seastead available for that. In addition to that, I guess that that's the most important takeaway. That and, of course, the fact that you'll be able to, once we get this DAP rolling out and there are people who are interested in investing in floating real estate, you'll also have an easier time securing capital to make that actually happen. The last thing that I'll want to talk about is the video game that we're going to come out with. But uh, do we have another question here? Yeah, a quick one. Um... What's the warranty that you anticipate, and uh, how are these insured? 
I cannot answer those questions right now, but I will be sure to answer them at a later time, especially once we have something in the water. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right, so I guess the last thing that I want to talk about is the video game. I, I don't know if this will take me 15 minutes, but uh, I'm definitely a seasteading enthusiast. I want to see the movement get more exposure. I want to see more people get excited about seasteading. Uh, at least half as excited as I am about it, because I know that this is really going to happen, and it's definitely going to happen, not just within our lifetimes, but soon. So we have been working on this seasteading video game so that we can put it out there, we can get people, you know, often, who plays video games the most? People in high school, people in college. So I, I want them to be introduced to seasteading through this. So let me go to the ArcPad channel again. I'm going to put some more files in here. But basically what we're doing, the premise of the game is that a floating city has just been founded. You're in the middle of the ocean, about 200 miles away from shore. And you're going to usually play as a company. And that company's goal is to build out and expand the floating city. So you can get fleets of ships, they can be fishing ships, or they can be out there to, to dredge up minerals or metals or sea. Or they can be transport ships just to move stuff around, what, whatever you want to do with your, your fleet of ships. And you're going to try to use them to generate resources to build more seasteads to bring new immigrants into the city and keep expanding the city. Whoever has the most seasteads or the most ships or the most money at the end of the game wins the round. And each round will be a little over an hour. So it's kind of like a combination of like a real-time strategy, resource management game, which I think is really exciting because those are my favorite kinds of games to play. But there's also a bit of a twist on it in that when you're in observer mode, you'll be able to walk around the city in first person and you'll be able to see this 3D environment, this floating city, as it's being built in real time. So there's even the possibility that in the future we could add a sort of like a virtual reality element to it and you could put on this virtual reality headset and walk around in this floating city as there are ships moving around that are controlled by other players and as they're constructing new sections of the city. It's just going to be a really cool concept. That's awesome. I've been wanting to build a seasteading game for a while, but we just haven't had the resources. So I'm glad to see that someone is getting it done. <laughs> you know, when I was in college, sometimes I think I might have spent more time playing games than actually studying. That's probably not a good thing, but hey, at least now I know how to make a good video game. <laughs> right. It was skill building. Your company. Oh. I, miss, I miss the name of your company. I'm trying to, to find it in Google. Can you name it, please? Oh, yes. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit confusing. So the Seastead that we're building is the ArcPad C, and the company's name is ArcPad. It's just ArcPad. And we do have a channel for ArcPad um, where you can continue to ask questions and have conversation about it, A-R-K-P-A-D, in our active projects, one of our active projects channels. Let me put a link to our website, arcpad.co. Um, and I see Eric asked a question here in our channel. So to answer your question, Eric, the bottom image that shows the full floating city, that's concept art uh, based on the actual design that we'll be aiming for with our, our floating cities in the long term. So those are individual ArcPad units. 
um, and that floating breakwater that's around it is a design, one of the designs that we're looking at for, for deep sea floating breakwaters right now. So that is actually concept art that's kind of aimed towards the video game, but it's also supposed to be concept art of a real world floating city that we will want to build in the long term once we go out into deep water. The images that are above it, however, those are of the video game. Yeah, they, they kind of do. They look a bit like that, but they're not used for uh, spill containment. They they would just be breakwaters, just to kind of create more calm waters on the inside. Because one thing to keep in mind is that these coastal arc pad units, if you were to surround them with a breakwater, even in, in deep ocean, it would keep the waters on the inside calm enough that it would be more similar to coastal conditions. And so the reason we're using that in our artwork is because on the one hand, you could have a deep water arc pad, which is a design that we will come out with. On the other hand, you could just take your coastal unit that's being currently rented out and generating a profit for you as part of a floating resort, and you could tow it out into deep sea. And as long as you have it inside of these breakwaters, it would be dual use. You could use it in deep ocean or you could use it in a coastal environment. So that's another reason that we included that in the concept art. How are these breakwaters anchored? So the way that a lot of deep sea buoys are anchored that are out there to measure wind and waves very, very far from shore is they're using nylon ropes as opposed to steel chains. And another beneficial thing about nylon ropes is that since they won't rust and they don't degrade at all in salt water, if you use these as anchor ropes, they can last a very, very long time, especially if you use the really thick ones and, and you, you, know, you, you have redundant connections. You have more connections than you need to the anchor point, which is on the bottom of the central spar of the arc pad. So if we were to use those, one of the beneficial things about nylon anchor lines is they can handle really intense pressure. We could anchor in the middle of the ocean, whether it's over a seamount and it's 500 meters deep, or even if it's several kilometers deep, which is exactly what they do with uh, deep ocean buoys. And I see Freeport and KRE are both writing more questions. Yeah, so let's answer Waffle King's question. And then um, if you don't mind answering those in the chat, that would be great after we... Oh, no problem. Go ahead. All right. So you've mentioned that you've been working uh, with some of the local governments in the Philippines. I don't claim to know whether this is a valid concern. It's just something I've heard from a Filipino who is particularly interested in, in politics, uh, who has mentioned that... He's not sure if the Philippines as a country can uh, continue to stay uh, united. My understanding is that there are thousands of islands in that, that country with many different cultures and many different languages. So I just, um, what is your sense, uh, having visited and, and worked with the, the local Filipinos some, um, do you think it's going to break up as a country and, and how will that affect your guys', uh, your plans moving forward? Thank you. That's a great question. So I've been here for almost a year now. My fiance is a Filipino, so she's actually from the south of the country, down in the area where they don't have hurricanes. And so, so she could probably tell you even more than I can. But what I can tell you is this. The Philippines is going to stay united as a country. They're certainly not going to have any kind of you know internal conflict or, or anything like that. I, I don't see that happening. It's a very stable country. It's a very safe country. Now, they are going through something right now uh, that they call the devolution of powers or I think uh, some some politicians have called it, I think they're federalizing, I forget the exact terminology, but basically what they're doing is the local and regional governments are obtaining more power, and the central government is kind of devolving its power down. 
So these regional areas are becoming more autonomous over time. And that actually allows us, if anything, to negotiate for greater and greater autonomy, depending on what area of the country we're in or anchored near. So it's, it's not at all a bad thing. It's, it's not the same as, you know, it's not like they're popping up with free private cities or anything, but it is actually somewhat decentralizing. And if anything, that's actually good. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, that was a great range of questions from our audience. And thank you, Mitchell, for signing on for this first Seasteading Social hosted on Discord and um, helping me figure out how to use this tool effectively. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on, Carly. I enjoyed it. Thanks. The Seasteading Today podcast is produced and hosted by Carly Jackson. Send feedback and questions to podcast at seasteading.org. To support our podcast and the Seasteading Mission, go to seasteading.org slash donate. If you'd like to learn more, read Seasteading, How Floating Nations Will Restore the Environment, Enrich the Poor, Cure the Sick, and Liberate Humanity from Politicians.